0: Kind of you, man. You're welcome. Kind. You thank thank you, you so much. All right. All right. Oh, thank you. Dave, thank you for your kind words. Um, it's a joy to serve a long day, but you, you know that already. I'll say a little bit more about him either tonight or tomorrow. You can uh, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let, let, me, let me begin with this. Um, we've been here a very short time. The Americans, I mean. And we have been already very affected by each of you. Um, We've been talking. You're probably the most loving church we know. You are just welcoming, warm, loving people. And uh, thank you for embracing us that way. Um, We really have experienced the love of Christ through you. Yes. And we just want to—we just want you to know that and know our appreciation. Um, actually, I think I will look better. Or Dave, Dave, will, I think I look better at 83 in Dave's clothes than Dave will look at 83. That's just a guess on my part. You, you've seen the new Face app, right? With the—we the should pull that up and get Dave up on the screen, right? And I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing. By the way, I'm not wearing Dave's clothes. Did you notice that. Yeah, our luggage uh, arrived, all except for one bag. We have one. We have one traveler who still doesn't have his bag, and um, but the bags arrived last night. And uh, sweet Emma Taylor, she came in. She goes seven. She's holding up number seven. <laughs> bags are here, and we're all excited. Let people know where that. So after the meeting, I went out to look for my bag, and I couldn't find it. I'm looking around. I'm asking people, "Where is my bag?" And um, there was a, a few folks in the lobby. Um, uh, Patrick and Megs Chavez. I think the petites were there. I forget who else was standing. There. Have you seen my bag? You know, they're kind of going like this. So I'm just. I can't find my bag. I'm thinking. Well, maybe, maybe mine didn't arrive either. So then I thought. Well, maybe somebody took it to my room. So I went to my room. I looked around my room. I couldn't find it. So I came back over. Anybody see my bag? And and there's the Patrick again saying. Oh, I'll see your bag. <laughs> so. At some point, I, I just began to figure out something's going on. My friend Patrick. And something about a shower was, was, was mentioned. Have you looked in your shower? So I think I brought a picture along. At least I sent it to Dave, yeah. So I said, Patrick, you put my bag in the shower. So he incredulously says, at least I didn't turn on the water. Uh, Like, I'm supposed to be grateful for this practical joke that's being played on me. So as the executive director of Sovereign Grace Churches, who has no authority, I think think there needs to be a penalty for this crime. And I thought about a number of uh, potential penalties, but I thought, you know what? Let me ask you. What penalty shall Patrick have? So if you could get to me with your ideas, and then we'll issue the penalty later in the day, all right? So just, just, here's how I'm thinking about it. One idea is that Patrick does five push-ups with my suitcase on his back. You could do that. Or if we want to get a little bit cuter, we put one of his daughters on his back, and he does five of those. That's, that's just. Or maybe he walks around in sackcloth and ashes all day tomorrow. I don't know. Those are just ideas that are going through my head. So I, I want to involve all of you. Because you are a loving church, and you you're offended with me, I know, so come to me with your ideas about patrick's penalty. Oh, by the way, last night, Patrick then outs Meg. Oh, by the way, Meg got the code to get in your room and then And then Meg says, "Well, he made me do it I 'm like, "This is the Garden of Eden all over again. But I I blame Patrick. I don't blame Meg. I think Meg's right. Patrick made her do it. She was just, you know, following her husband at that point. So so Patrick gets a penalty for the crime. All right. You still have your code. You still have my, yeah. That's true. You still have my code. I got to get I got to get that changed. Uh, it's fun to laugh, isn't it? We we laugh at ourselves um, because we don't take ourselves seriously. We just want to take the gospel seriously, Amen. so it's fun to to laugh. Uh, I just really want to thank again Dave, and uh, I don't know if Brendan made it this morning. If Brendan's here, um, he's, he, he's not here yet. Okay, I saw we saw Brendan and Charlotte yesterday. Got to hold the baby. Oh wow. man, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, Dave and Brendan, Patrick and Riley, thank you for for just planning this retreat in a specific way. Uh, your pastors are caring for you, and they, they desire for you to uh, enjoy the work of the Spirit. And I believe even to um, have your faith built this weekend to use your gifts yes. in the building and strengthening of this church. Um, I, we're going to look at this um, message today entitled, Encouraging the Use of the Gift of Prophecy. That's the title. It's a longer. It's like a Puritan title, isn't it? Encouraging the use of the gift of prophecy, but there there is application in this for all of the gifts. So we're we're going to be doing prophetic ministry. I want you to understand the gift, but there's application throughout that I think throughout this message that applies to all of the gifts. Also, we're going to be doing a Q and A tonight with with the folks that are coming with me. So if you have questions, write those down, ask those tonight, or if it doesn't get asked tonight. We just want to engage you in your questions, whether we're having a meal together, or we, we bump into one another on the beach, or in the Oval <laughs> playing, playing football. Um, just ask us any questions, because we do want to serve. All right, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 5. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more, to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Let's pray. Lord, we do pause, not out of routine, but out of need. We need you, Lord. And so we want to express that need and our dependence upon you by asking in prayer that you would be with us. We pray for the filling of the Spirit again. We pray for the work of the Spirit. Last night many of us were talking that we were just tangibly aware of your presence. May that happen again. May we be tangibly aware of your nearness and of your presence. And as we look at at these verses in this chapter especially those that we just read, may the Spirit of God help us to un- not only understand them, but to understand of how they apply in our lives. I, I pray, Lord, for the, all the folks gathered here, that you would give them clarity regarding their spiritual gifts, and that you would impart faith in the use of their gifts for the purpose that we read here, for the building up of this church, and for your glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A few years ago I took a pneumatology class that is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit taught at our pastors college by a man by the name of Sam Storms. And Sam began the week with this interesting statement that stuck with me. He said it is it is very difficult to hold the reformed truths that we love and our continuationist charismatic convictions, it's very difficult to hold those two together without drifting towards the one at the expense of the other. And when Sam said that, I thought he's exactly right. To, to, to It's difficult for us to enjoy and benefit from the God-glorifying reform doctrine that we hear preached and to hold with that our spirit-empowered continuationist convictions, it's hard to hold those two things together without drifting towards the one at the expense of the other. To hold both, to enjoy both, to have our churches strengthened by both, it requires our commitment to the preaching of reform, sound doctrine, and our commitment to pursue the work and activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now we looked at this last night. One of the works of the Holy Spirit is to is that he gives the gifts for the common good of the church, First Corinthians 12 verse seven. And so as we gather on a Sunday, when we gather at retreats, as you gather in gospel communities or maybe prayer meetings throughout the week, we should be people who are encouraging each other in the use of the gifts. And according to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, especially the gift of prophecy. Gordon Fee makes this wonderful observation. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 20, we find the earliest mention of prophecy or prophetic utterance in the New Testament. Although not a frequent term in the Pauline corpus, it occurs in the earliest and latest of the letters. Romans 12, 6, 1 Corinthians 12, 10. 13.2, 13.8, 14.6, 14.22, 1 Timothy 1.18 and 4.14 strongly su- suggests that this was a normal expression of the Spirit's activity in the early Christian communities. So in earnestly desiring the gift of, and the use of the gift of prophecy, you are encouraging a normal expression of the activity of the Spirit in the New Testament church the question is though how do you do that how do you encourage the use of the gift of prophecy so we're going to look at six ways to encourage the use of the gift of prophecy in your church and these application by the way i think are for all the gifts and the application goes beyond the sunday corporate context it is for your small group context as well so here's the first way number one have a biblically informed definition of the new testament gift of prophecy have a biblically informed definition for the New Testament gift of prophecy. Prophecy, as Fee has pointed out, is one of the gifts of the Spirit that's mentioned in the New Testament, Romans 12:6, 1 Corinthians 12:10, and we see it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 1. But, but what is it? How do we define the gift of prophecy? Here's the the definition that we use at Covenant Fellowship Church, which is by the way in the Philadelphia area. Somebody last asked me last night, "Where are you from?" by the way. And uh, Covenant Fellowship Church, where I'm a pastor, and these folks are members, is in the Philadelphia area. This is the definition that we use there. It's very simple and very short. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. Now, that term revelation, you've got to be a little bit careful with. Because revelation by revelation, we don't mean that anything spoken today is being added to the canon of Scripture. We don't mean revelation in that way. The canon of Scripture is closed. And you say, well, that's a risky word to use. Why would you use that word revelation in your definition? Because that's the word that Paul uses here in 1 Corinthians 14. So 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, look at that. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, there's the word, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. So you see the word there. Now now go with me down to verses 30 and 31. If a revelation is made, there's the word revelation again, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one. So in those two verses, Paul's linking the word revelation with that word prophesy together. And so when he's talking about revelation, he's talking about divine activity. When Grudem makes this observation about this word as it's used throughout the New Testament, Grudem says this, The revelation which comes is thought by Paul to be of divine, not human, origin. This is evident first from the fact that the word Paul uses for revelation occurs 44 times in the New Testament and never refers to human activity or communication. Rather, whenever the New Testament speaks of a, quote, revelation, it is always given by the activity of God. So the gift of prophecy is the human report of a revelation. It's, it's the human report of what you believe the Holy Spirit has brought to mind. Now we can get that definition, we can move on to the next point, and we can miss this important truth. God desires to speak to us today. Yes. Now, the primary way, you got to get this right, the primary way that God speaks to us is through His Word. That's the primary way He speaks to us, through His Word. But at times, God does speak to us personally and specifically in using the gift of prophecy. That's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful expression of God's love for each of us that He wants to speak to us. And this gift has a wonderful purpose, which leads to the second way that you can encourage the use of the gift of prophecy in your church. Number two, be convinced and I use that word, convinced intentionally, be convinced of God's desire to edify your church. Be convinced of God's desire to edify your church. So why is the gift of prophecy, according to Gordon Fee, a normal expression of the Spirit's activity in the New Testament church? Why does Paul say, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy? Why does God give the gift of prophecy to his church? We find our answer in verse 3. Look at it again. On the other other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for what purpose? Their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. In other words, the gift of prophecy has the potential to build up the church, to encourage his people, to console people when they need to be consoled. It, is, it has the potential to edify Sovereign Grace Church of Sydney. Now, one of the things that affects me every time I read this chapter, I, I, I read it again this morning. And I, I would encourage you, we only read the first five verses, I would encourage you sometime in the next week, read this entire chapter. Because one of the things that stands out in this chapter is the repetitive language that's used here. Six times in this chapter, this language is repeated. This language of the church being built up. You find it in verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 12, verse 17, and verse 26. See, this is holy inspired. the holy inspired word of God. It captures God's heart For his people that through the work of the Spirit, God desires to manifest his presence through the use of the gift of prophecy and to edify and to build up and to encourage and to console his people. It's a wonderful thing. I think it's important for us to grasp. Because most of us, and I would include myself in the most of us, we can have this tendency at times, as John Owen said, to have these hard thoughts about God. These wrong thoughts about God. We can have a week where we are just battling sin and in condemnation and we can arrive on a Sunday morning more aware of our guilt than we are of the grace of God. We can be going through trials and maybe even through prolonged trials and we begin to get this thought that God has actually somehow designed this to punish us. Not aware of the gospel. Those are Hard thoughts about God, aren't they? They're wrong thoughts about God. We're all vulnerable. Most of us are vulnerable to have them. Maybe you arrive here at this retreat weary from trials. Or maybe you arrive here condemned in some way or burdened. You know what I'm talking about. And then what can happen in the gathered church as a prophetic word is shared and it speaks right into your life. And you know that God knows you, and He knows what you're going through, and He's there to love you and to care for you. It was um, just about a year ago, we, um, on a Sunday morning, we as pastors were praying before our Sunday service and thought that we were supposed to pray for a group of people in our church who were feeling like a failure, whether in one specific area or just in general. Now, what was not known to us and not known to Ramona Doyle who is with us is that earlier that morning as she was preparing her heart for the service uh, she got a prophetic word that she, and when she heard the group identified, believed that it applied to this group, someone feeling like a failure. So she brings this prophetic word to the mic and we listen to it and we have it shared. And this is basically what her word was about. She came to the mic and she said that she had a picture of of someone trying to ride a unicycle. Now, let's stop there for just a second, all right? I don't know that I would have had the faith to walk to the front of the church and stand before the mic and and say, I've got this picture of someone riding a unicycle. How many people ride unicycles, right? But Ramona has faith I do not have. And so she came to the mic and she said, I just have a picture of someone trying to ride a unicycle, but it was hard and challenging. So much so that no matter how hard they tried, they could only make it go backwards. couldn't go forwards. My word was about condemnation out of the first few verses of Romans 8. You know that first verse, right? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Specifically reminding folks that the Lord himself had fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law And they stand not under wrath but under grace and calling folks to not let their eyes be cast down in condemnation but to lift their eyes to God, the God of hope who by His word of truth at work in them and by the power of the Spirit would complete His good purposes in their lives. That word was shared. And later that afternoon she got a call from a single woman in our church and she said to Ramona, you're not going to believe this but I'm actually dating a guy who was with me on sunday who rides a unicycle <laughs> can't make that up can you ramona, ramona didn't know that She's, she she said i'm dating a guy who's actually who rides a unicycle and actually before the service i think it was the day before the service they were both talking about their past and present failures they had this conversation and because of that there was fear There was present condemnation and fear about the future. And she said, when you shared your word, it spoke right into that. And it told us that God knew about our conversation and that he knew the condemnation we were experiencing. He knew the fear that we had going in the future, and he spoke to us, and he cared for us. That's amazing. It's amazing that the God of the universe who is running all of the universe, decides in that moment to speak into that one couple's life in a specific way that only they could identify with. Do you you see how the gift of prophecy has the potential to edify your church? And are you convinced that God wants to edify Sovereign Grace Church of Sydney? Okay, third way to encourage the use of the gift of prophecy in your church. Number three, keep the gifts connected to the gospel keep the gifts connected to the gospel. Now I I think one of the error, errors that the charismatic world can be prone to make is to put an overemphasis on the gifts and probably unintentionally separate the gifts from the gospel in a way that you never see scripture do that. Right. Scripture never does. I mean, just just look at the way that the letter the way this letter is structured, this first letter to the Corinthians. So Paul begins very early in this letter, and he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, I decided to know nothing among you except what? Christ. Jesus Christ and Him crucified, right? In other words, that, that flavors the rest of the letter. He, he goes on and he talks about divisions in the church and sexual immorality and, and food sacrificed to idols. He talks about the gifts, right? And then he wraps up the letter in 1 Corinthians 15 and he says in verse 3, this is of first importance. Does he say it's the gifts? No. What's of first importance? That Christ died for sinners. He rose again on the third day and he ascended. You know, you know the rest of those verses. So he, he begins with the gospel he flavors all the letter with Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and he ends with the gospel. And in between, here are these chapters twelve through fourteen that sandwiched in between. It's it's just how the letter is structured. Tells us that the gifts exist to strengthen the work of the gospel in our lives, and that's the the work that you. You see as the gifts are used, the, the gospel work is strengthened. And, and not just in the believer growing in Christ. It's not just sanctification. Keep in mind in this chapter we see an expression of the gifts being used where a outsider is among us, right? In 1 Corinthians 14, verses 23 and 24, 24 and 25, I'm sorry. And they hear a prophetic word shared, you know those verses, what happens? the secrets of their heart are revealed. And in that moment they fall down and they worship God and they say God is really among you. In other words, the gift of prophecy can be used for proclamation of the gospel as well. At our church, maybe you do something similar here. We we do what we call the bridge course. It's modeled after the alpha course, if you're familiar with alpha. It's a 10-week introduction to Christianity. Uh, people... People who don't know the Lord, they come to our church. They have dinner once a week for ten weeks. They hear a talk, and then they break down into small groups and they they have a conversation. It was just a few years ago. There was a an older couple who went through Bridge. Uh, They were 89 and 83 years old, Bill and Vivian, and they had went through ten weeks. It was now the tenth week. They had not talked once during the ten weeks. They showed no response or expression at all regarding the truth that was being preached to them. And it was the the last evening. The talk had been given. They were broken down into small groups. And there was a woman there who's on our prophecy team, Lila Knox. And um, they finished up the conversation. They just said, let's pray. And as they were praying, Lila had had a prophetic impression for for Bill, the, the older man, 89 years old. And she said to him, I I see an old pickup truck from the 1950s that he was fixing. And parts were lying all over the garage floor. And he was just full of grease as he was trying to put this truck back together. But she said, "I, I believe that the Lord has given me this picture because it's a picture of your life. You're a man who has felt very fragmented your entire life. And that it, it's that fragmentation has really defined you and confused you. You feel like those pieces lying all over the floor. But that the Lord wanted him to know that he saw him as a whole person and complete, made by God and not fragmented, and that he wanted Bill to be free. Free of the things that were condemning him and holding him in guilt. And so she just shared that word, and she prayed for him. And she looked up, and and she said, does that make any sense to you? And by this point, there were just tears streaming down this 89-year-old man's face. And he said, you just described how I felt my whole life. Mm -hmm. And so he began to talk a little bit more. He didn't really understand why he was crying. And he talked through that, and Lila was just explaining, the Lord is drawing you. And she again shared the gospel again with Bill and asked him if he wanted to repent of his sin and place his faith in Christ. And he immediately said, yes. And in that moment, Bill prayed to receive Christ as his Savior. Now, we believe, don't know, time will tell, that he was born again on that evening. Why? Because we see 1 Corinthians 14, verses 24 and 25. That someone who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, God speaks right into their life very specifically, and it leads to their salvation. My point is keep the gifts connected to the gospel. All right, fourth way to encourage the use of the gift of prophecy in your church, number four, use the gift of prophecy aware of its limitations. Use the gift of prophecy aware of its limitations. And I'm going to talk about two limitations. First, here's the first one. The first limitation is that the gift of prophecy is affected by our finite and fallen humanness. So our ability to, to give and receive prophetic words is limited and imperfect. That's why I'm so grateful for 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. So we've got to get this right. The, the prophecies that are found in your Bible are infallible. canon of Scripture is closed. Any prophetic words that we share while we are with you or, or are shared after we leave, they are fallible. They won't be added to the canon of Scripture. They are given by sinners and people who are weak and have limitations. Therefore, we can make mistakes. Now, the best way to grow and the use of your gifts overall, but the use of the gift of prophecy, I think the best way to grow is to use your gift. Just keep using your gift. If you believe you have the gift of prophecy, use it consistently as the Spirit leads, which means there may be at times you may make a mistake. Now, when we gather for prayer before we came here, when we gather for prayer this morning, we don't pray, Lord, help us to make mistakes. We don't don't pray those prayers. (laughs) but we know that we can make mistakes and God uses mistakes to help us grow by helping us respond humbly to those mistakes and if you respond humbly to the mistakes you make actually you engender trust here's what I I mean by that I could tell you about many mistakes I've made. I could use the rest of the retreat telling you about the mistakes I've made. But this was a couple of years ago. It is um, the 1st of December. It was just a few weeks before Christmas. And at our church, we had gathered our administrative and facility staff. It's about 20, 20-some folks. And we were just praying for them. And Jared Milling, our, our lead pastor, was leading through that time. And I feel like the Lord gave me a prophetic impression, which I shared with Jared, and it was this, that there was someone there among us who was, who was just dreading the holidays because they were going to encounter an extended family member where there was just a tense relationship that had not been resolved and they just didn't want to walk back into that tension. And so there was just some fear and some trepidation about going into the holidays, but that the Lord wanted to meet them and we were going to pray for them and build them up in their, in their faith. So I asked Jerry if I could share that and he said yes, So I shared that that word with the group that that was gathered together. And when I shared it, they did what you did. They're just staring at me. (laughs) So, of course, in my own pride, I said, are you sure that doesn't apply apply to anyone here? And no one raised their hand. And I said, I just miss it at times. I make mistakes. That can happen when we use the gifts. And we went on and we prayed. It was later that afternoon. It was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. There was a knock on my office door. And one of the admin staff just poked their head in. They said, thank you for responding the way you did. Just just admitting your mistake. That was just very helpful for me to hear. And and you may not realize it, but it helps me to trust you. And it helps me to trust those who use the gift of prophecy. Because I know that if you're going to make a mistake, you're going to be honest about that. So... Keep in mind, if you've got the gift of prophecy, that at times you may make mistakes, and God may put you in a place where you, you just respond to that mistake, respond humbly, and in a way that can help engender trust. Now that has th- this limitation has practical implications for anyone that receives a prophetic word, where they hear it corporately or personally. It means that you need to take any prophetic word that you receive during this weekend from us and submit it to Scripture and submit it to prayer, and to submit it to wise counsel of godly people around you. We, we don't want people making life-changing decisions based on prophetic words. We just don't want that. That's not the way prophecy is to be used. There's times they can be confirmatory, um, but they're, they're not necessarily always directional. In other words, here's what I'm saying. Evaluation for each of us is critical. You've got to evaluate any prophetic words that you share. Now, you might say, well, can they be directional at times? Let me just tell you a story. There was, um, we, we traveled up to the church in Brooklyn, New York. Solomon Grace had a church there at that time. And several uh, were there praying for f- folks. And there was a word that Dan had, Dan's w- with us, um, for a man by the name of Claudio there. And he had never met Claudio before, but the word basically that Dan had for him is that he saw Claudio as a professor and, ins- and an instructor and that he would be instructing people in some, some sort of way in his vocation. Well, well, Claudio and the guy that was with him, they just kind of chuckled and laughed um, because um, he's not a teacher and instructor. He's actually an engineer. He doesn't think that way. He's never taught. Well, just several months later after we were there, Claudio, who is an, an engineer who works for an environmental consulting firm, was asked by his company to learn... Uh, and to become the company expert on EPA law. That's Environmental Protection Agency, EPA EPA law. And so he became that expert, and he is now teaching seminars on this legislation at Columbia University in New York City and other large companies who now invite him in to be the teacher of this legislation. So he now looks back, and who's laughing at this point, I guess, in, in some way? In other words, when that began to play out in his life, he looked back, and it was a confirmation of what, of what God is doing in his life. I get asked this question uh, many times, and you may, may have it, so let me just try to address it. Can a, can a prophetic word have this future orientation to it? Can, it? can it work that way? And I believe, yes, at times it can. It can. But it's how you handle that word. It's what you do with it that I think is what is most important. So let me tell you another story. Uh, It involves both Dan and Ramona who traveled with me. This was several years ago. um, And they independently, without knowing what each other were doing or hearing from the Lord, emailed us as a pastoral team. And they both saw a very similar picture, which is they saw a, a map of the globe and they saw a crack coming down through kind of um, Central Asia, basically, is where it was at. And they just had this sense that something catastrophic was going to happen in that part of the world at some point. So at first, as pastors, we, we didn't know quite what to do with that. We just decided, let's just pray about it. We didn't know whether we wanted to share that with the church or not. I, I didn't think we did, but Dan reminded me recently we actually did make that decision. And I, and I now remember that we, we decided to have that shared on a Sunday morning. I think we had both Dan and Ramona share and the purpose of it was just to let folks know that they could be praying for that part of the world. That was its only application. We weren't trying to do anything else with it. And it was about, I think it was about a year after that, if I remember right. Do you remember the, the earthquake and then tsunami that happened and then hit, hit uh, Sri Lanka, that part of the world, just devastated? As soon as that hit the news our phones were lighting up from Dan and Ramona. They said, that's exactly that's exactly where we saw that fault line going through that that world map. And so they were seeing something that was going to happen before it was going to happen, and we had prayed into that as a church. So I say all that because I think there are times they can have a future orientation. What I would encourage you is, if you get a prophetic impression like that, take it to your pastor's. Let them be burdened what to do with it. Yeah, Amen. yeah that's why they make the big bucks. That's why <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you're freed up at that point, right? You've discharged your responsibility before God, and now they've got to wrestle what to do with your, with your work, all right? Second limitation I want to mention. The gift of prophecy has no authority on its own. The New Testament gift of prophecy has no authority on its own. Prophetic words given today do not carry an authority on their, their own. They must be submitted to Scripture. There's one authority in our lives, and that is clearly the Word of God. And so prophetic words, when they are shared, they must be measured in light of the authority of Scripture. And in light of these limitations, the gift of prophecy uniquely is to be governed, especially in the gathered church, as we see here in 1 Corinthians 14. You see that in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. So first of all, there's a sense of he's trying to bring order to a chaotic service, right? But he's saying, let the others weigh, discern, sort of test what is said. Now, who are the others? Well, if it's the entire gathered church that's hearing this prophetic word, the others would be every one of us. Everybody has the responsibility to discern prophetic words that you hear, to test them, as First Thessalonians talks about, to weigh them. But uniquely also, the elders of the church who are responsible for the corporate gathering of the church... For, for what is shared and for the, for the, for the order of the way they, that things are shared, they uniquely also have a responsibility to weigh what is said. So what we do at Covenant Fellowship, this is the way we practice it. It's not the only way to practice it. We have one of our, our elders, or it could be a designate, uh, one of the leaders in the church who we've trained, who's at the prophecy mic on a Sunday morning, and we listen to prophetic words from the folks that bring them up before deciding which of those are going to be shared from the mic. That's how we weigh what's said. That's how we govern the gift of prophecy practically. And and if you come from a Pentecostal or charismatic past, you might think that government actually can squelch the spirit. Or you might think that government constrains the gift of prophecy when actually the opposite is true. It actually frees the person up. So they're bringing the prophetic word, and they're, they're sharing it with the person at the mic, then they're, they've unburdened themselves. It's now the pastor or the leader who has to decide, which of these am I going to put up and have shared? And so they are free to use their gift. And as, as we go throughout this weekend, um, Dave and, and Patrick and Brendan and Riley and myself, we're, we're aware of that role that we have to do things in a way that honors First Corinthians 14 and pleases God and serves you. Okay, fifth way to encourage the use of the gift of prophecy in your church, have a biblically informed understanding of personal prophecy. Have a biblically informed understanding of personal prophecy. Now we know from 1 Corinthians 14 verse 26 that this is the corporate gathered church because it says there, What then, brothers, when you come together, so when you come together in a in a setting like this or on a Sunday service or even a, in a small group gospel community, um, the context here in 1 Corinthians 14 is that of the gathered church. So the question is, does Scripture allow for prophecies for an individual? Can there be a prophetic word for just an individual or just for, call them personal prophecies? We, we believe that the New Testament does allow for personal prophecies. Uh, there, there's a couple of... Scriptures I would point to you to Acts chapter 21 verses 10 through 11, which is Agabus' prophecy to Paul. And then I want to read you 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 18 and 19. So this is Paul who's speaking to Timothy. He says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. That's pretty personal, isn't it? They're about prophecies for Timothy, that by them you may wage the good warfare holding faith and a good conscience. So we see that the New Testament allows for personal prophecies. And because personal prophecies are for a specific individual, um, they they can be shared um, really outside of the corporate gathering. So what I mean by that is this. It's in terms of its practice. If you have a prophetic word for an individual, it's it's not as helpful to be sharing that while we're singing or while Dave is preaching or Patrick or or Brendan or uh, Riley might be preaching. Hold on to that word and share it after the service. Grab the person and go to them right after the service and share it with them because they will benefit from it more if you wait until that point. Um, and the, the purpose of Personal prophecy is really the same found in the corporate gathering. It's to edify. It's to build up. It's to encourage. It's to console. One of the things that I do in leading our ministry, our prophecy ministry at Covenant Fellowship is I do quarterly meetings called Exploring the Gift of Prophecy. And they are for all of the church to come to. Anybody from the church can come whether they think they have the gift of prophecy or not. And I kind of do two meetings in that evening. I meet with the prophecy team for dinner. We do a dinner meeting at 6. And then at 7.30 we do the exploring to get to prophecy meeting. And we probably have, I don't know, somewhere between 30 and 45 folks on a Friday night come. And um, every meeting I teach, we always want to teach from God's Word. We might do a and a like we'll do tonight. Uh, we typically take time to pray for people. And I want to tell you a story about a woman named Alita Cross, Alida who I think is in her early 70s, came to a meeting like this for the very first time. And she said, first of all, I was a little hesitant to attend the, the, the meeting because my uninformed perception was that the meeting was for the super saints of the church <laughs> who regularly heard from God. <laughs> yeah, you, you hear us laughing about that, right? Yeah, you get it. That's a, that's, a, that's a misperception. And so a friend of hers convinced her to come and uh, this particular evening, I, I, I asked Alita if she would come forward so we could pray for her so everybody could see how that was done. And she said, yeah. And so we prayed for um, Alita, and she sent me this email the next morning. She said, I didn't have any expectations for the prayer time. So when virtual strangers prayed... Now keep in mind, our church is about 1,100 people. And so there's a likelihood that she had not met people before that were praying for her. And that, that was the case this particular evening. So I had no expectations for the prayer times. So when virtual strangers prayed and spoke into areas of deep insecurity, even using phrases and terminology that mimics some of the self-talk that cycles through my mind, I was struck to the core. Then she says, God. Then she says, God. Capital G, capital O, capital D, explanation point, knows my fears and my default lines and spoke healing words into them. I was blown away and continue to be every time I recall that evening. I can't remember when I was so encouraged. Do you see how personal prophecy can edify and strengthen? Again, that should amaze us. This is the God of the universe who had to coax Alita to the meeting so he could speak to her and care for her because he wants to build her up. That's the heart of God. Okay, sixth and last way to encourage the use of gift of prophecy in your church. Pray for the gift of prophecy to be used in your church. Pray for the gift of prophecy to be used in your church. You might be thinking, and it would be accurate maybe, because it, it it sounds this way. This sounds, Mark, like the obligatory prayer point that you stick on the end of the outline. right? sounds that way, doesn't it? I get it. It does sound that way, but it's not intended to be that way. Here's why. We know from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7, we looked at those verses last night. That is, it is God who is the giver of the gifts, and who empowers all of the gifts in everyone. In fact, let me, let me just read for you verses 4-7 through 7 again from First Corinthians 12. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. You can quickly read past those verses and miss the point that every person of the Trinity is mentioned in those three verses. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, it's our Trinitarian God who is the giver of the gifts and who empowers the gifts, who who apportions gifts the gifts as he wills. So to encourage the use of the gift of prophecy and all of the gifts here at Sovereign Grace Church of Sydney, pray to the trinitarian God. Father, Spirit and Son, who is the giver of the gifts and ask him to give them generously and to empower those gifts in a way that there's a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that as the church is built up only he alone receives the glory. And look for opportunities to pray for people to use their gifts. Do that in your, in your gospel communities. Do that when you're having conversation during the t- retreat. If someone is talking about, I don't know which gift I have, stop and pray. Yes. Pray in that moment and ask God to give them clarity about their gifts and to, and to use their gifts. And when you pray, when you pray this way, here's one of the ways I want you to pray. I want you to pray for the unplanned. Pray for God to work in a way that you don't plan. And God does that. God will do that this weekend. He probably already has. He's worked in ways we haven't planned. And if you're going to pray for the unplanned, you've got to do this then, especially if you lead a small group, plan for the unplanned. Make room for God to do what you haven't planned for. And why do you want to do that? Because when people experience God in that unplanned way, man, they want to come back next time. They want more of that kind of experience with God. So pray for the unplanned and plan for the unplanned. And God will, He'll transform your church as you tell stories of God doing things you never thought He would do. So let me just close with a story before we sing. It's a story of the unplanned. I was. Um, in May at the the Midwest-Northwest Regional Assembly of Elders meeting. (laughs) Sounds all formal and stuff. It's just all the churches in the Midwest part of the United States in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, Rick Gamash, who's the regional leader, uh, asked me to teach on the Get to Prophecy and how to stir that in the church, which I actually taught this outline. And I remember that morning I just had this impression for one of the pastors that I didn't come with And so I said, at some point, could I pray for him? His name's Chris Oswald. He's the lead pastor of Providence Community Church in the Kansas City, uh, Missouri area. If you know where Kansas City is at, sort of in the middle of the the United States. And so we prayed for him. And as we were praying, very spontaneously, there's a word that the Lord just gave me for Chris. And it was a word that, basically, that he had been carrying things on his heart, good things on his heart for a number of years that the, the the Lord, he just didn't know what to do with them. And he, he knew that, that God had given them, but hasn't been able to have full expression yet. And specifically those things were that the, the Lord was taking him and leading his church into some really hard places. That he was going to go and the church was going to go into areas of poverty. Areas where people are needy. Where there was addictions. Where there were struggles. Where there were financial challenges. And that God had made Chris and actually his wife for that kind of ministry and that he was now to lead the church in that direction and if he did, that they would follow and that they would be used in hard places, that they would be darkness and light, that they would bring love to the unlovely, that they would bring hope to the hopeless. And I got I, I didn't know any about that about Chris. I got done and he looked up and he's just weeping. And he said, you... You just shared the conversation that my friend and I had as we drove from St. Louis, about a five-hour drive from St. Louis to Kansas City on the way to this retreat. My wife and I just recently moved, decided to move our family into a very poor neighborhood because we believe God's called us to that. What I was wrestling with is, am I to lead the church into that or not? And that's what we were talking about. And so I know it's the Lord speaking. I know the Lord is speaking to me about this. Thank you. I I can't plan that. None of us are that good. (laughs) You're not that good. But God is. And so pray for the unplanned. Plan for the unplanned. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing a song, all right? Before we go into ministry. Lord, we thank you uh, for the gift of prophecy in particular that we've been looking at. We thank you that you make it very clear in this chapter we just looked at that you've given it to the church for the purpose of edifying the church. And I pray that you would use that gift and the other gifts that you've given this church to build up this church and strengthen it. We, We pray that this weekend would... Would stir the gifts. We pray that people again would have faith to step out and to use their gifts and the gift of prophecy in particular. And we we pray that you would fill this church with stories of how you specifically speak into people's lives to build them up, especially unplanned stories. Do that, Lord, in a way that only we we know that's only your doing and therefore it's for your glory and we pray this in jesus name amen